getting back to the series. We've simply titled it, Familiar Stranger, The Person, Power, and Purpose of the Holy Spirit. Tammy spoke about last, uh, last week spoke about how the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. Um, the, the one thing that I really wish had never taken place is that when the King James Version of the Bible uh, had been translated roughly 500 years ago, please bear this in mind, okay? It was translated into English that was being used 500 years ago. The term Holy Ghost was used when it came to, now I don't know about you, but that, that's a little bit freaky. That's a little bit eerie for me, the idea of like the spook that, that, that kind of does stuff. So, so we have that, that caricature in some people's minds. In other people's minds, it's, he's an it, and like if, if it does something to you or, or in you, and it's kind of this, almost this idea of a force, and I think we so depersonalize who he is. I, I honestly believe that for those of you that are in a relationship with God, I would say that probably 90% of any interaction that you have with God is through the Holy Spirit. So when you're comforted, it's Him. When you are encouraged, it's Him. When you are prompted, I don't know about you, when I got married, I was like, holy smokes. I was challenged all the time by the Holy Spirit about being selfish or manipulative or domineering or just shutting up every now and then and letting Sue actually talk. Um, that, that's the Holy Spirit. That, that was Him talking to me. There have been so many times in my life where, in fact, honestly, I would say that that daily the Holy Spirit either encourages me or draws me or prompts me or challenges me, dare I say, rebukes me. I know we're living in 2022, but can we still use the word like, you know, words like challenge and rebuke? But it's not negative. Yeah. If, you, if you grew up in a loving home with loving parents, if they were to correct you, it was for your good. Yeah. So it is never to shame me. It is never, ever to discourage me. There's only one other person that wants to discourage me, and that's the enemy, that's the accuser, that is the father of lies. The Holy Spirit, if he's pointing stuff out to me, it's in order to draw me, it's in order to, it is in order to invite me towards healing and wholeness. He is a person. I don't think it's a big deal if you use terms like the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, or Him, or he, but, but please use personal language when referring to the Holy Spirit. He is a person and he loves you. Bear in mind that we refer to the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience. That's fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So, so anytime you're experiencing healthy, life-giving love, it's from the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's not someone that you need to be afraid of. I am very mindful, obviously. I mean, guys, I've grown up in Pentecostal church. Okay, I'm mindful that there have been misuses and abuses. I'm mindful that there are televangelists and other people that, that, that have sometimes, if not often, made a spectacle of something that's not meant to be made a spectacle of. I know you have people that are spraying doom and fighting with snakes and, I don't know, just, just like doing weird stuff. Guys, don't focus on what you see on media or what movies portray of people that believe something. No, no, read the Bible. Or just go to God, but read the Bible, okay?
There are pros and cons to having grown up in church and having grown up in a church with Pentecostal distinctives. Many benefits. But then there are also challenges. There are things that became normalized. There are things, um, I've got to tell you, to be honest, in some ways, there were certain extremes that actually put me off Pentecostal distinctives because I was like, okay, so you can pray in tongues, but you're a jerk. You're racist, you're sexist, you, you're, you're still prejudiced, you're selfish. Like, like some of that stuff didn't make sense to me. I'll, I'll unpack a little bit of how I think that should be balanced in a moment. But one of the other challenges is that because it's kind of like how I grew up, I had to, for myself, as an adult, I had to unlearn and then learn for myself. I had to go to scripture. I had to, and, and this is my challenge to you. Before you dismiss anything, can I challenge you to go to scripture? Read the book of Acts. Read the gospels. Now, Acts is not a doctrinal book in the way that it's written. So it's not like the book of Romans and other, and other uh, books in the New Testament. It is, it is an historical account of the early church, of the Acts of the Apostles. But as you simply read an account, you start to realize there's a trend going on here. Every time they, 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 they make reference to baptism of the Holy Spirit, it seems to be different to, okay, but, but they're acknowledging that these people were believers. So it wasn't a salvation issue, for example. There, there seemed to be something that happened that, that was noticeable. Now, I'm not gonna unpack that in great detail. In fact, next Sunday night, we're wanting to get into that a little bit more in terms of what, is there a difference between, between the relationship that we get to enjoy with the Holy Spirit from the moment of salvation and, and is, there, is there another dynamic that is made available to us, that is a gift to us? So come along next Sunday night. But what I want to emphasize to you is that there's a diligence required on our part that we don't just cut ourselves off or pigeonhole God or the Holy Spirit because of our own experiences and reference points. No, no, we have to be diligent. For me, that's very similar even to the idea of tithing. Again, I grew up in church, so that doesn't mean I grew up in a healthy relationship with God. I'm saying I grew up in church. Hear what I'm saying? So for me, even things like tithing was like, okay, like if you get pocket money, you tithe. That means 10%. And any kid can work out what else he can do with 10%. Any teenager who's working, I worked from the age of 14, I can figure out what else I could do with 10%. In my early 20s, I could work out what I could do with 10%. I'm not a fool, I can do the math. And again, I had to ask myself questions like, have I just been manipulated? Have I been taught? Have, is this just, just the way that it's all been conditioned? Or, or am I gonna go into scripture and, and look at the examples and the passages and the teachings from, from Abraham and Melchizedek before the law and after the law and then the book of Malachi and then when Jesus makes reference to it and come to my own conviction. I'm saying you have to own your own convictions. You have to own your own life. You have to take responsibility. I have to take responsibility for my life. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I'm just saying that I think some of us, like this isn't a salvation issue, but I think that it's a, it's a fullness of life issue. I think God wants so much more for us than just surviving and getting to eternity. Now, I have no idea if this is true, Pro- probably not. But, but there's a part of me that can't help wondering if, if some of us are gonna be quite disappointed when we get to the other side of eternity and when we actually realize 
wow, what an opportunity we had this side of eternity. And, and a part of that is living under the influence of and in response to the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say under the influence, the Holy Spirit doesn't possess you and, and, and make you do stuff. To live under the influence is like, like I'm, in, I'm in a relationship with my wife and with close friends and with leaders. I'm, 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 I'm in submission to authority. I give people a certain level of appropriate influence. I, when I say the influence, I'm saying I wanna be led by the Holy Spirit. And I wanna be empowered by the Holy Spirit. There is never, ever, ever a day. So we've spoken about the person. I wanna unpack some stuff about the power. There is never a day where I don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. Never. Never a day where I don't need the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to overcome my own humanity, the power to overcome my own selfishness, the, the power to overcome my own mixed motives, the power to overcome my own self-centeredness or my own ego or, or my own insecurity, the power to do the things that God does want me to do, the power to be loving, to be kind, to be patient, to be present, to, to have faith even when everything around me looks terrible, the power to, to actually hear God's heart or to see people through His eyes, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. If it is just on me, I'm in trouble. What, whatever your role, there isn't a single role that you're involved. Well, Jason, I'm involved in business and I'm doing stuff that's creative. Why wouldn't God want to empower you with creativity and with ideas and ingenuity and innovation? Why wouldn't God want to empower you to be a, a blessing of a presence in your company? Hell, Jason, all I do is clean floors. Do you know how many people that clean floors have had an influence on other people's lives because they are present and they notice and they pray. We need the power. And I'm not even done with my introduction, so let me hurry up. <laughs> Philippians 2 verse 13. We've actually, we've actually had this written out on a chalkboard in our, in our living room for, for quite a long time because I need to be reminded of this over and over and over again. For God is working in you. He is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. God gives you the desire and God gives you the power. Put another way, God doesn't give you any desire. He doesn't, he doesn't prompt you or lead you or draw you to do anything that He's not gonna give you the power to do. Are you intimidated by, by something that you think maybe you're being drawn towards? Good. It means you need God. Are you, maybe, maybe, maybe you, you and your spouse are pregnant for the first time, I know only one person can be, but you know what I mean. You're expecting for the first time and the idea of having a child is just terrifying because your only reference point is, is just a dysfunctional brokenness of, 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 of an excuse for parenthood. I'm saying God wants to give you the power. Or maybe you're afraid of getting married because all you've ever seen is God will give you the power. Or maybe, or maybe you feel like God is calling you to, to actually honor him in, in a life of, of singleness and celibacy, God will give you the power. Or, or that he's wanting you to lead or influence in some way, God will give you the power. He gives us the desire and he gives us the power. Yeah, Jason, while well, I'm at school, do you know what teenagers are like? Yes, I have been there. And it's hard. But God gives you the power. Not to be a weirdo, but to, be a, but to be a calm, consistent presence where you love people, where you're generous, where you volunteer in, in picking up stuff that you don't need to pick up or doing stuff that you don't have to do, but, but over time you build credibility because 
You have the power of God in you. He gives us the desire and the power. I am in so much trouble. Acts 1 verse 8 says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Can I just point out, again, side note, so come back next Sunday. Jesus was saying these words to his followers. At the end of Luke, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then Acts 1 verse 8, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Anyway, so that means, you know, leaves you wondering, is there, are there two, two dynamics to this? The early church was already warned about how people at some stage in the end times, which is what many would argue we're living in, would, would seem to act religious. I mean, I mean he goes on t- to describe, this is Paul writing to Timothy, one of, one of the early pastors saying to him, people are gonna be selfish, they're gonna be, they're gonna be obnoxious, they're gonna be violent, they're gonna be aggressive, and oh, by the way, take a look at 2 Timothy 3 verse five, they will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The New International Version puts it this way. Having a form of power, they will have a, sorry, a form of godliness, but they will deny the power. Can I encourage you, don't settle for having a form of godliness, for having an appearance of godliness, for having an appearance of religiosity, of, of just ticking a box, of just going to church, of just, reading the occasional you know, Bible play. No, no, I mean, do all that, but, but let the heart be God. I need your power. I want to be changed by you. I want you to work in me. I can't emphasize this strongly enough. I'm talking about this in two dynamics. For God to work in us and to work through us. In us is character. Just like we need help. If you don't think so, just ask the people that know you best. You need help, trust me. We need God's power to work in us, but please don't stop there. If God's power is working in us, there's no way that we're gonna be selfish. There's no way that we're gonna want it to end there. If we're allowing him to work in us, we are going to want him to work through us where we can be a blessing to others and generous to others and kind to others and encouraging to others and speak life to others. We're going to want to have his power working through us. And it's not gonna be for selfish motives, even though we may wrestle over mixed motives at times. Just, can I, see, I don't want you to excuse that, but I also want you to kind of be kind to yourself in the sense of, okay, like, I don't know if my motives are, like, don't wait until your motives are perfect and pure. Just keep asking the Holy Spirit to help you to have the right motives, okay? Because we're humans. They're gonna, sometimes there's gonna be some mixed stuff, but let's keep trying to grow in, in, in God's power working through us being something that is just generous. Where if you're gonna encourage someone, it's not so that they think you're such an amazing person. If you, if you are serving or leading or, or doing an act of kindness or an act of generosity, try and, and quieten down that voice that wants to be praised and affirmed. Because obviously that can feed mixed motives. One of the saddest lines, in my opinion, in scripture is when Judges chapter 16, verse 20, some of you know the story of Samson. I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but it says that this is, this is Delilah. The, now you can say, well, Aaron, there was, there was that chick that distracted and tempted Samson. I'm like, Delilah was obvious. How can you be so dumb and breathe? Like, like, like she tried to trick him multiple times before this occasion. He just, keeps, he just keeps doing the same thing. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, this is, this is the part that is sad and scary. I will do 
as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. I don't want you to have the kind of relationship with God where you don't even realize that he's left you. His motives were so messed up. Like, like for him, the power of God was, like it was cool, it was exciting. I can break stuff, kill people, do stuff. Like it's amazing. That's not God's heart. And that's also why you should never, ever, ever, ever evaluate your godliness or your maturity based on God's giftedness that he's given to you. Ever. There are so many people, not just throughout history, but, but in our current age that have done incredible things, in inverted commas, on behalf of God or the church that it has turned out have lacked significant character, that have not had the character to sustain the gifting. But, but somehow God will still use people. Listen, he used a donkey, everybody. He spoke through a donkey. Let's, let's not get distracted by evaluating our, our level of spirituality or godliness or anything like that by, by our giftedness. No, no. Like, you know, I, I could take my, my, my watch off and, and, and give it to, to, to a kid and say, yeah, here's a gift. Enjoy it. He can't, he's, he can't take pride in the fact that he created this watch, that this, is, that this is the fruit of his labor. No, no, it's a gift. Anyway. We will unpack the gifts in more detail next week, but let me just try and cover a couple of principles of power. Number one, every believer has been given a gift. If you are in a relationship with God, there is at least one, often more, but at least one special endowment, one, one way that the Holy Spirit manifests things through you in various circumstances. Every believer. The reason I say that is because Theologians will tell you that doctrine can be formed when there's at least three different passages of Scripture in the Bible that, that speak to the same thing. So it is, it is confirmed, it is affirmed. Let me show you three quick passages. Romans 12, verse 6, the first part says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to... Okay, this isn't a trick question. It's underlined. A spiritual gift is given to... If you're a Christian, the question is not, has God given me a gift? The only question is, what am I doing with it? He's, he's given you the power. He's given you the ability to do something. The only question is, am I burying it? Am I excusing it? Am I apologizing for it? Am I putting it up on a mantle and feeling proud that I've, I have this certain level of charisma? Or am I using it? And, and again, we'll unpack this a little bit, little bit more next week, but, but it gives a bunch of examples from things like leadership to kindness to, to some people having the special gift of serving and helping others to a word of prophecy, a word of wisdom. The ability to discern between spirits. Like, is something coming from, a, from an evil place or is something coming from, from God's spirit? 
Sometimes there's a special gift of faith. Like, like there are things that, that all of us as believers would have access to in God, but, but, some, but for some people, there'll be a special endowment of faith or a special ability to pray for someone and see healing. There are others that have a gift of mercy where they're just able to go into painful situations and they're just able to bring hope, peace, empathy, compassion. And of course, the challenge, because we're human beings, is that we, if you're even aware of these gifts and think of these gifts, it's so hard not to compare and compete. And so for someone with a gift of, of helps and service, it's hard not to think that everyone else is lazy. And for someone that's maybe got a gift of leadership and has vision and can see the steps, to think that others are just not serious about God because they're not automatically seeing those steps. Or for someone that can discern stuff, thinking like, oh, are you even saved? Like, why can't you guys even like, figure this stuff out? Or someone that has mercy and empathy can maybe think like, you, there's no way you're saved because you're not crying about this situation right now. And that's why, guys, we need to appreciate one another. We need one another. Number two, fruit matters more than gifts. I mean, I think I've gotten that across. But like, I can get angry. I can get aggressive. I can be ungodly, which is really ironic. When I think about how much more sometimes gifts are elevated above the fruit of the Spirit. It, it makes me sick, like, it, it, like probably like on a leadership level, on a pastoral level with, with other pastors and working outside of our church, there's probably no thing that gets under my skin more than when it feels to me. Now again, I could be wrong because I'm a human, so this is my perception, but, but, but when I feel like people are more committed to the great commission than the great commandment. So when people are willing to sacrifice the great commandment for the sake of the great commission. In other words, the great commission is going to all the world, make disciples of all people. The great commandment, which is on the wall, is to love God and love people. Now, now when, 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 I, when people are not being loved and they're being used and chewed and spat out so that the vision can be achieved, I'm like, that just doesn't make sense to me. But there's a giftedness. There's a vision. There's a leadership. Stuff, stuff's being achieved. Some of the most dysfunctional churches in history have grown in spite of dysfunction because there's a, a giftedness, but, but there's, a, there's a junk heap of people that have been destroyed in the process. And I'm just saying, fruit matters more than gifts. Now, they should go together. Don't be self-righteous and focus on fruit and then be really poor stewards of gifts. No, it should never be either or. That's like you're in, you're in the airplane. Do you want the left wing or the right wing? You want both. Galatians 5, and 23 gives examples of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Here's the big idea with fruit more than gifts. Love must be the measure of maturity. Love must be the measure of maturity, not giftedness. If we are not motivated by love, in fact, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes on a rampage, like he is riffing on the gifts but then he ends the, the chapter off by saying in verse 31, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So he's just gotten excited. He's just gone on a rampage about the gifts, but, 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 but now let me just tell you what's most important. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. It's the very next line. So you should, uh, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels. So, so if you, in other words, you can speak in tongues. You can, you can speak other languages. 
of the earth, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans, he's not saying you think you do. No, you do. He's like, you can have the gift of prophecy. You can understand all this stuff. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I'm just saying love has to be the measure of maturity. So, so when you serve, when you give, when you get involved in, in, in trying to exercise on God's behalf, always ask yourself the question, am I motivated by love or God at least help me to be motivated by love so that I'm a, a good steward of your power? Because the word for power in the Bible is basically the same word that we get dynamite from, okay, dunamis. So, so, so dynamite can be used for good and it can be used for harm, right? It can, it can, it can allow for breakthrough or it can allow for destruction. So gifts need to be used in the right way. The power of the Holy Spirit needs to be used in the right way. That's why even he then goes into chapter 14. So chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 is all about the gifts. 13 is like, get this right, guys. It needs to be motivated and sustained by love. And then 14, he gets into some of the stuff that has caused confusion and offense and I think unnecessary distraction over the years in chapter 14 where he talks about having a certain level of order in church services where he talks about how 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 the general ability to pray in tongues is actually for self-edification not for distraction and and the value of prophecy where, where, where you are hearing from God and speaking on behalf of God to someone else but but not in a way that is drawing the spotlight on you it is for life it is to it is to help Others, again, there's so much that we could unpack over there. I've just finished a book recently called What is a Girl Worth by Rachel Den Hollander. Deeply, deeply moving account of a, of a young lady who some of you would be familiar with the story of, of Larry Nasser, one of the most prolific pedophiles in American history where, where in the end something like 500 girls and women came out accusing him, but he was the team doctor for the USA gymnastics team. He was, he, he, he was the guy to go to if you were a gymnast. Many other sports too, um, but, but especially gymnastics. He was the gold standard, but how he abused children, so young girls and teenagers, young ladies. This book, in my opinion, is written with, with, with a, a level of humility and clarity, but also with so much, so much glory to God in terms of her own journey, how God helped her to forgive, how God gave her the strength and the courage to be the first person to come out when, when she had tried previously and, and it had not worked out, and how she came out with her name knowing that she was going to be attacked, and she was. I mean, it, I mean there's so much in the book that helps you understand the plight of of survivors and, and how they're misunderstood and how they are pushed aside and how systems you know, are created to close ranks and, and defend and deny and to duck and cover and blame. But she uses this line a few times about how love has to drive us to fight for others. And there is a courage. You, you can go onto YouTube, not now, because it'll be weird if you start listening to this. 
but you can watch her victim impact statement that she made at the trial. She was the last person to issue a victim impact statement. And she speaks with grace. She offers him forgiveness, challenges him on his manipulation and because he, he had a Bible with him in court and, and, he, and spoke about wanting to be forgiven. And, 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 she, and she explains the gospel to him in open court, which is being televised all over the world. And I'm saying, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the power to forgive. It is the power to be merciful, but it's the power to still fight for the vulnerable, for the oppressed, for those that are being abused. Her point repeatedly was that if people had just listened to when the first accounts had come out 20 years earlier, the first accusations had come out 20 years earlier, how many hundreds would not have been abused at his hands? So, so, so having the power of God doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't make you whimsical. No, no, it makes you strong. You can fight for what matters. Number three, people are the priority. Everyone has a gift. Fruit matters more than gifting. And people are the priority. The priority should never just be to achieve a goal. If the goal is not about people, I'm talking about not, not even just in a kingdom sense, not even just in a church sense. I'm saying if your business isn't about people, yeah, yeah, well, we do finance. Well, finance affects people. Creativity affects people, design, law, teaching. Name me, well, Jason, again, I mean, I work for the municipality. Listen, even the municipality should be about people. ESCOM, people. I'm a cleaner, that's people. Guys, there is nothing that you could do that is not ultimately, that should not ultimately be about serving people. And that should be one of the ways that we know that we're walking down the wrong path. When it's not just, when, when people have nothing to do with the outcome. It is about people. Take a look at some of those verses that I read earlier. It goes on. 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. No gift is given to you for you. Guys, I mean, I, I, I can't think of a good enough example, so just bear with me, give me grace. I know we're living in 2022, but if you gave me a bunch of dresses, I'm gonna think this isn't for me. I'm gonna think, let me bless someone else that would like these wonderfully, appropriately fashionable dresses, right? I, I can't use them, but someone else can. It is about people. Serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. It is about people. It is about people. For those of you that are following along in new version, you'll see that I'm not getting to the six obstacles to power. I'm sorry. Maybe we'll unpack that next week. Can I get you to stand for a moment? Before I pray for us, can you give me an extra minute or two? I want, I want, to, just, I want to run through this because it might just crystallize something in our hearts. 
in terms of the obstacles to power. One is we become students, not practitioners. So we like to study what other people have done, but not do it. As opposed to actually being desperate, God, I want to be used by you. We don't just we don't just come to attend a group. We don't just come to attend church. We don't just we don't don't just go along on a mission trip to spectate. No, no. God, I, I want to be involved. I want to be a practitioner. Two is a lack of expectation. Man, this challenged me. I, I'm getting these points from Tyler Staten, another pastor and author. He asked the question: If if Jesus were to follow you around every day at work, at home, at school. Would he be encouraged by our level of expectation and hey, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna do? Help me to walk in the good works that you planned for me in advance. Or would it be a little bit disappointing? Or would it be very disappointing? As you go about your business today, as you go about your normal Monday tomorrow, can I encourage you to raise your expectation? Number three, disqualified by shame. So tempting for us to, to think of all the reasons why he can't use us. Just look at Peter. He messed up over and over again, including denying Jesus. Jesus had to reach out to him again, specifically, clearly. And if, and if Peter wasn't willing to accept that grace and be empowered, who knows what the early church would have looked like. God used him for the early church. Tyler Staten says, Jesus is not afraid of empowering the disqualified. He's afraid of putting authority into the hands of those who have bought into the illusion that they are qualified. Number four, unrepentant sin. That gets in the way. If I'm not gonna be humble enough, if I'm not gonna be teachable and responsive to the Holy Spirit when He points things out, when He draws me into a different way, that is gonna get in the way. Number five, a low capacity for disappointment. I think that this is one of the biggest killers for many of us. Yeah, well, I prayed for people before, they weren't healed. And man, I can tell you stories. Stories that were like painfully disappointing. And over the years, I've had to increase my capacity for disappointment. Where sometimes power will look like a miracle and sometimes it'll look like persevering in suffering. Where sometimes it'll look like the courage that I spoke of with Rachel Den Hollander, and sometimes it keeps fighting for the oppressed and the vulnerable and the marginalized, even when the doors keep closing and laws don't make sense and you're constantly misunderstood. Sometimes faith, sometimes uh, this capacity for disappointment is faith continuing to ask for healing, even though so many prayers seem to go unanswered. Let's increase our capacity for disappointment. Let's be willing to try. Let's be willing to risk. And lastly, comfortable apathy and the only person <laughs> that is comfortable with you being apathetic with me being apathetic with us being complacent the only person that is satisfied with that is your enemy is my enemy let's not become complacent let's not become comfortable with apathy people soldiers that are at war have a very different priority system to soldiers that are just like in peacetime and chilling out in the barracks. Now, I don't even wanna get into the whole issue of war. But I imagine that people that are in the Ukraine right now have a very different 
sense of priorities than they did two weeks ago or three weeks ago because they're being attacked. They're at war. As a side note, I can't understand why our government would want to sit on the fence and not know who to support. I agree with the statement that to remain on the fence is to support the aggressor. But whether you want to be in a war or not, if you're in a war, you're thinking differently. And I wonder, I wonder what the church of Jesus Christ would look like if we realized that we were in a war. If we realize that what's happening from Monday to Friday is not just about how do I make life more comfortable? How do I make more money? How do I, how do I improve my, my relational capital? If we realize that actually we're in a war that's gonna affect eternity. I wonder, I just wonder if our lives would be different. I imagine they would be. So, your homework, if you choose to accept it, is to switch your phone off a little bit earlier at night before you go to bed. And to switch it on later, after you wake up in the morning. You can pick the time. For me, I've got to keep my phone off for at least an hour, normally longer in the morning. For me to just, for me to even just begin to exchange whispers with the Lord before the shouts of the world. And practically to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please would you show me today? Would you help me to see today? how and when and where I can walk in your power? How can I be present, loving, kind? How can I ask you for wisdom in a complex situation? And when you go to bed at night with your phone having been switched off a while ago, please, for the love of everything holy, don't let what you're scrolling be the last thing that goes through your mind before you close your eyes. Unless you're reading the Bible on your phone. No, no. Can one of the last things you do just be to reflect briefly? Holy Spirit, where were you active today? Did I miss anything? Was I sensitive? And if you were and you noticed it and you saw him do something through you, just thank him. Father, please, would you give us eyes to see? Help us to see people. Help us to care about people. Help us to know your heart. Help us to trust your Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete. He is the helper. He is the person that comes alongside us and draws us into wisdom, counsel, safety, direction. He is our teacher, our comforter, our guide. We need your power. We need your fruit to be formed in us. And we don't want to miss out on the plan that you have for our lives. God, help us not to ignore. Help us not to be so distracted and busy that we don't see the good that you wanna do through us. What it, what it looks like to be a blessing where we are today, where we are tomorrow. Help us, God, to stop just listening and agreeing and to actually do something about creating margin in our day to hear you, to speak to you, to allow you to shape us, to form us, that we would walk by the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen.